0: Good morning, good morning to those of you at Meierstown. Uh it's a blessing to be here, be with you even uh, virtually, um, g- greetings to you who are online as well, uh, those of you here in Lancaster, it's so good to see all your faces, uh, hopefully you had a great week celebrating with family and friends, um, I had a great week as well, and it's again good uh, to open God's word with you today, so if you could open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, and while you do that at both campuses, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I pray, God, that it would change us this morning. I pray, God, that you would go before us. I pray your presence would be here among us. Lord, if we don't have your spirit here among us, what, what do we have? And so Lord, I just pray that your word would be alive, living, as you promised it would be in our hearts today, and that we would leave here changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we are in the sermon series called "Courageous Calling." We've been going through the uh, the book of Exodus. Have you been so encouraged by the sermon series? I praise God. It's been a great sermon series. I've been so encouraged by the life of Moses. I've been so encouraged by seeing uh, Jesus all throughout this book and seeing what God uh, was going to do through the life of Christ, even in, in the book of Exodus. It's been it's been great. And so we're going to continue today in that series. We've been zeroing in on this word, this word kaleo, which means authoritatively summoned or to be called, right? It appears in the New Testament over 140 times in various forms, but it always means the same thing, to be called, authoritatively summoned. But we've been focusing on this aspect, that it's God who calls, it's God who summons. He summoned Moses by name. He summons you by name. Amen? But God has called... Various things. He's called creation into being. We've been learning that he called Moses to lead his people through his promises. And most importantly, he's called us who are in Christ unto salvation. You see, it's only God who can make this call. Romans 4.17 says that even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Aren't you so thankful for that? He calls dead things to life. He calls dead things by name. Exodus chapter 3, he called Moses from the bush by name. Today we're going to see Moses rely on this call. Haven't you been so encouraged by watching Moses mature through the book of Exodus? Going from, Lord, may not be me. And today we're going to see him before God, petitioning on behalf of Israel. Maturing in his call. Remembering the call on his life and being the great mediator in the tent of meeting today before, before God on behalf of Israel. Today, we come to Exodus 33, and we will once again find strength in his plans, his purpose, his provision. But today, today we find strength in his presence. We find strength in his presence. See, this idea of presence immediately took me to one of my favorite TV shows. Perhaps you've seen it. It's called Alone. It's on the History Channel. I'm quite the survivalist junkie, although I would never want to be survivalist myself, but I love watching others uh, toil in, in harsh conditions and try and survive. This particular TV show I find particularly interesting, though, because here's the premise. Right, If you haven't seen it, they take 10 people and they put them in uh, a con- uh, an area of the world. Uh, some of the episodes were in Vancouver Island. This season, season six, they're in the Arctic, north of Canada, and they put them there alone. They even give them 70 pounds of filming equipment, and they have to film even their own journey. They're allowed to take 10 pieces of equipment with them to survive. But listen, this is the best of the best. You've got to have a pretty decorated resume to be on this show. I am not going to be on the show. They would never pick me. I'm lucky to survive in the safety of my own home sometimes. <laughs> but they film their own journey, and they can tap out any They get this little phone, and they can tap out any time. As a matter of fact, when the crew visits them, it's for one of two reasons. Either you've tapped out, or you've won, and they have no idea. They have no idea who else in the show is, is still in or still out. It's crazy. And they do health checks from time to time just to make sure people aren't dying out there. Um, and the record, as far as I can uh, uh, find, is 87 days. Eighty-seven days. And some of these people are quite uh, amazing at what they're able to do. But what fascinates me the most... Now, see, there, there, there's like an initial like two or three people that see a bear and they're like, I'm done, I'm out. Like, bear's good, I'm good, you know. But there always is like this core group of people, like five or seven of them, that just kind of like, stick it out to the very, very end. And of that group of people one of the number one reasons why they tap out isn't present danger. It's not their health. It's not food. It's not the cold or the, the conditions. It's, it's being alone. It's being alone. As a matter of fact, mo- this most recent season, my wife and I were watching, and the gentleman, I mean, he had, a, he had an awesome house built. He had food for weeks. I mean, he had, he had done so well that all he had left to do was sit around and wait. I mean, he had, he had all the systems set in place. And when they were interviewing him, he said, you know what? I don't, I don't got to prove anything to anybody. I miss my people. And so he tapped out. Perfectly healthy, perfectly... Presence is such a powerful reality, isn't it? See, God has created us to be present with others so that we can image bear him, right? Genesis chapter 2. I mean, that's a great passage when thinking about your spouse, but think about the relationship we have with one another. We get to image the glory of God to one another. It's not good for man to be alone. God wants his glory to be seen in and through each of us. And God has shown us over and over again that he desires us to be in his presence. He desires us to draw our identity from his presence. He desires us to draw our strength from his presence. You see, today, we're gonna see that it's his manifest presence or his glory where we find strength. Amen? Amen. And I think it's important at the outset of the message to talk about or differentiate the idea of omnipresence versus manifest presence. You see, His omnipresence is everywhere, all at one time. And it exists even outside of our ability to be aware of it. We don't need to be aware of God's presence for it to be there. It's there. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at once, all the time. But today we're going to talk about his manifest presence. His manifest presence is where his presence is made clear. It's where the awareness or our awareness of his presence is awakened to the reality of God as defined by God. You catch that? We are awakened. We are becoming aware. And his presence is made clear to us. You see, up to now, Israel has benefited from being from God being among them, amen? Like he has been among them, calling them his people and doing countless amazing works to prove who he is and what is his nature and what is his character. And today the threat of losing that, the threat of losing that puts them at a crossroads. What will they do? What will they choose? let's set the context though exodus right the story of the call of Moses and the rescuing of God's people out of captivity the nation of Israel the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and up to now we've seen call. we've seen God call we've seen God call Moses call Israel we've seen God rescue them we've seen God send them last week we saw Israel one of their lowest (laughs) one of their lowest of spots idolatry death judgment. But through it all, through it all, God has been patient. God has been completely faithful and drawing his people closer and closer to him and to his promises. See, today we gain strength from realizing that it's the manifest presence of God that set Israel apart. And in Christ, it's what sets you and me apart from every other person on the planet. It's his manifest presence that separates us it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so today we find strength in God's presence because it's where we find His glory. It's where we find His glory. And so point one, we find strength in God's presence because His glory reveals His goodness. It reveals His goodness and God provides a way. Let's jump into the text. Exodus 33, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, depart, Go up from here, you and the people from whom, the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people when the people heard this disastrous word they mourned and no one put on their ornaments the Lord had said to Moses "Say to the people of Israel you are a stiff-necked people if for a single moment I should go up among you I would consume you so now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward see, verse 1 begins with what seems to be like very good news. If you think about what happened last week, this seems like very good news right now for Israel, right? He says, depart. God says to Moses, tell them, go, you may go. Go up from here. Go to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What an incredible grace. What an incredible grace from the Lord to let them still go. He says, you... You, Moses, you and the people whom you have brought up. Interesting twist of words there. You see, they didn't deserve to go. They didn't deserve his grace in this moment. However, God keeps his promises. (laughs) Aren't you so glad God keeps his promises to you and to me? I remember the day I stood guilty. In the courtroom of God, we stand guilty. But God keeps his promises. He promises them. He promises you. They didn't deserve to go. And in verse 2, God tells Moses, I will send an angel before you. Now, if you look back at Exodus 23, 23, you'll notice that God is changing the language here just a little bit. You see, back in Exodus 23, God promised. He said, I will send my angel. My angel will go before you, and I will be among you. We'll go into the land that I swore to, you, to your forefathers. We'll go into the land, and I will wipe out the enemies. My angel will go before you. I will take you there. See, the Lord had clearly promised to be in and among them as they move into Canaan. So why the sudden shift in language? The Lord is getting ready to drop a bomb on them. You see, he was not going to go with them. Verse 3, right? He says it. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. I will not go up among you. See, this was not a pronouncement that somehow his omnipresence was somehow changing. He wasn't sending them into a, a part of the world where somehow it was void of his presence. God would be present. God is always present. And God strongly desired to be among them. And we read back in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, as he was given the instructions of the beautiful tabernacle where his presence would be, he eye I will dwell in their midst. God wanted to be among them, not just present, not just generally present, but he wanted to be manifested among them. He wanted to be their God. But God was making it clear that due to their sin, he would not go. He would not be there among them. See, God is always present though. He he created the earth right he keeps he keeps uh, nature in complete harmony and perfect balance he sends rain upon it for the sower everything is in perfect harmony god is always present aren't you thankful for that <laughs> what would israel do what would israel say what would how would they respond how would they respond verse 4 it says that when the people heard this disastrous word they mourned and no one put on their ornaments they mourned. They mourned. They did not put on and even removed here in a moment their ornaments. These ornaments, these things, these reminders of Egypt, these reminders of the idol they had just built. You see, they strongly desired God to be with and God to be among them. And the irony here is, as we saw last week, is that they built a golden calf in pursuit of that. But God gave them a clear promise to build a sanctuary so that I, I can be among you. I will be your God. I will be present with you. Instead, instead, they went about it in their own strength. Remember that? They went about it in their own strength and now must suffer Suffer the consequences. They suffer the consequences. See, Israel is wrecked and wrought with repentance at the thought that God would not go. God would not be among them. <laughs> so they ripped off themselves the very items that signified the exodus from Egypt. Their acts resembled that of Jacob in, in Genesis 35 where he buried and removed the idols from amongst the people. And they used these very items to build their idol. Now they stripped themselves themselves to rid their sin. They're coming to grips with the fact that the, these earthly riches can never, can never re- replace the riches and the presence of God. Question for you. Question for me. I had to ask myself this. Do you ever come to your senses in the midst of your sin and think ridding yourself of that thing will just fix it? You get pretty radical, Right? But in this moment, Israel's at a crossroads. They're at a crossroads. God says, go into the land. Go to the place that I swore to your forefathers. You can have it. I keep my promises, but I will not go among them. I will not go among you. You know, if you could have all of heaven's riches, you could have all the, the, the streets paved with gold, no doubt, no fear, no sin, but no Jesus... That's the crossroads they find themselves at. Do we go into the promised land? Do we go there knowing that God is going to keep his promises? No. No, we should be overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed with the thought. They were overwhelmed with grief and torment and mourning at the thought. I mean, consider what they're being offered. They're being offered the very blessings of God without his presence. What would they do? God reveals in this, in this moment his profound goodness, his profound goodness. God is profoundly good. Although you've sinned, you still get to go. Although you're stiff-necked, I will not consume you. Are you kidding me? Being called stiff-necked by God and not being completely blotted out? What a grace. What an example of goodness of our God. Although you refuse to wait on me, you get to depart, you get to go. You may be thinking to yourself, how in the world is this good? How is this good? How can God be good in this moment? Listen, simply because God kept his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is good. Simply because God still offered to send an angel on the way, he is good. Simply because he provided a way out of complete annihilation, he is good. And if God did none of these things, he's still good. God is still good. We don't get to wait for the outcome. To decide. God is good always and forevermore. He is good. But He continuously gives us what we do not deserve instead of what we do. He gives us His grace. Where is grace abandoned in your life this week? Where have you been given what you don't deserve? It's a week of thanks. It's a week of remembering. It's a week of being so, so thankful, right? Thankful for friends and family. Thankful for, thankful for you. Thankful for Jesus. See, the glory of God is where they obtained their strength. It was His manifest presence among them that made them so very unique. It was the very source of their power. Do you remember? Remember the darkness plague? He was the light. Do you remember? He literally held back the waves as they crossed the dry ground. He was the cloud. His glory was the cloud on the way in the wilderness. He was the source of their strength and his glory revealed his goodness to them, and his glory reveals his goodness to us. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, in him, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, emphasis mine, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory might be to the praise of his glory god has provided a way for you and for me to experience his utmost goodness listen oftentimes we are so focused and fixated on what we're free from we forget what we're free for we are the praise of his glory we get to live out a life in christ and experience the goodness of god in a profound way his glory is revealed in us through christ paul says we are are the praise of his glory. You in Christ are the praise of God's glory. If we could just capture that, if we could just comprehend that, we would, live, we would live differently. I would live so differently. We gain eternal strength from his goodness, from the goodness of the gospel, from his goodness. God ultimately will continue to reveal his goodness to us. He's continuing to reveal it to Israel. His goodness, his goodness, his goodness. And point two, we find strength in God's presence because his glory reveals his grace because God provides a relationship. God provides a relationship. Verse seven, he says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at the tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, would speak with Moses. And when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the people would rise up and worship. They would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. What would God do? What would God do? They are obviously mourning. They are obviously grief-stricken. They are obviously repentant. They are obviously consumed by their sins, so much so that they are in a state of mourning. What would God do? He already stated that he would not go, so they repent. Would God resolve their tension, or would he let them sit and stew? I don't know about you, but as a reader, as a reader going through this text, I'm on the edge of my seat in this moment. I'm on the edge of my seat, but as a sinner... I'm connecting with the place that they're in. The anguish, the guilt, the doubt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to find out later in the chapter what God would do, but in the meantime, the author seems to take a bit of a break from the narrative, right? Because verse 6 seems to connect right to verse 12, because... Once they mourn and are stripping themselves of their ornaments, it goes right into the conversation the Lord has with Moses. But there's this brief pause in the narrative, and it seems kind of out of place, but you know as well as I do that it's right where the Holy Spirit wanted it to be. In verse 7, we read about this tent of meeting. This tent of meeting. This was not the tabernacle tent, the inner structure. This was outside the camp. This was the place where God would meet Moses. Moses, the great mediator, gr- Moses, the great lawyer, would go into the tent. This tent was far off. They would go out to meet God. And inside the tent, God would meet with Moses as a friend does, face to face. We know later in the chapter we read that it's not possible for man to see God. So that we know that G- Moses wasn't physically seeing God. It was as if, it was a description of intimacy, not physically, did you catch that though? Moses and God knew each other as friends. And Moses would go before him as a friend. You talk to God that way. Moses would experience the visible manifestation of God's presence. And what would Israel do? Israel would stand in reverent expectation back at their tent in worship. Just waiting for God's word to come to them. Waiting for Moses, hopefully, to come out. You see, God's grace in this moment was his provision of his presence. God's grace in this moment was the very fact that he even communicated with his prophet. God provided the relationship. God came down. God called. God created. God initiated. It's God's work, not man's work. This was God's design. He tabernacled with man. And not since Adam had a man had this kind of relationship with God. You see, even in the midst of their sin, they had a way to communicate with. They had a way to be close to God. That is grace. That is grace. If you are close to God right now through Christ, you have Christ in you. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've repented of your sin. You are now alive in Christ. You've been given God's grace, and you have the ability to communicate with God as a friend like Moses did. understanding that it's no wonder if you go back to verse 4 you understand how god's judgment god's word that he wasn't going to go their, his judgment on their idolatry was such a disastrous word if god was going to take away his very real present the uh, presence and the glory that he descended upon them with they had a real reason to lament a real reason to cry out a real reason to repent if they were going to lose this kind of presence if they were going to lose this kind of intimacy with god they had a reason and as believers we should grieve our sin as they did right 2nd Corinthians 7 says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret we should be grieving our sin grieving our sin this limited form of contact for Israel was quite extraordinary but it was God's grace that he came down it was God's grace that he came down and offered a relationship and on the grounds of this relationship would set up the plea Moses is getting ready to resume making. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But as believers today, where can we go? Where can we go? Where do we go to meet with God? We don't have to stay far off. We don't have to exit the camp. We don't have to approach the tent. We have no prophet, no priest. We have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The tent of meeting is inside us. The tent of meeting is resident within us as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, say me, me, you, me, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. It's Through faith And like Moses, like Moses, by His grace alone, through faith alone, we have a personal relationship with God. We can speak to him, we can hear from him, and we can trust in Matthew 28:20, 20, where Jesus tells his disciples, "You will never be forsaken." Jesus won't leave the camp. But isn't it so true of us when we fall into sin? We feel that that's the case. We struggle in our sin. We struggle. Right? We doubt. We doubt that God is with us. Do you doubt that? Do you struggle with that? We question our relationship with, with God. We say things like, does God love me? Could he, could he use me? Or am I so stiff-necked that he'll abandon me? Listen, Jesus will not leave your camp. <laughs> he promises to, to never leave us nor forsake us. Those whom are his are his forever. Listen, friends, God, God in this moment is revealing the very heart of his character. He desires to restore the broken relationship. He desires to tabernacle with man. And, and soon there will, be a, there will come a one who will be the very evidence of God's desperate desire to be amongst us as his people. Jesus will come, Emmanuel, God with us. He desires to, to fix what is broken, and he will. And he will. And he desires that same for me and for you, for us. So the question I have for you this morning is, do you have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Does he know you? The answer is yes. Yes, he does. He desires that we know him personally as face-to-face as Moses' knew God. He desires that we hear from him. We have his, we have his holy word. We have his word. We can hear right from God. And he's de- he desires to hear from you in prayer. Do you know him? He received strength in God's glory because it reveals his goodness. God was profoundly good to Israel. They had gotten to a place where their sin had culminated to a point where it just exploded. God brought judgment. God told them, I will not go among you. I will fulfill my promises. And you can go. You can have the blessings of my promises but I will not be among you. God revealed his, his grace to Moses in a very personal way, a very personal relationship. And so we receive strength in God's glory because it does reveal his goodness to us. It reveals his grace to us. And point three, we find strength in God's glory because it reveals the grandeur of God. And we ultimately experience his presence. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, We picked the narrative back up, the people stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward, and then Moses would go into the tent of meeting once again to, to mediate on behalf of Israel, once again to plead on their behalf, to go before the Lord face to face, and Moses says to the Lord in verse 12, see you say to me, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who or whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please, please show me your ways, and I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God says to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's so awesome. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. I will do for you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom, on whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you shall not, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not not be seen." With this context of and the picture of God's very present communion with Moses in the tent and the people of Israel, Moses going on on behalf of Israel into the tent, we resume the story. So what would God do? Would he change his mind? Would he go? God says, I will not go. I'm too holy. I will consume you. That's his goodness. They repent. They rip off their ornaments. And just as before, as he always did, the text tells us Moses goes out of the camp to speak with God and Israel waits by their tent with <laughs> reverent, eager expectation. Can you imagine the scene? Knowing what was before you, knowing what was on the line, knowing what you were getting ready to lose. And Moses, the mediator, the man of God, the called one, goes into the tent. And Moses has a very real and honest conversation with God. I don't know what you think when you read this narrative and and how you feel Moses' posture was, but it's a very real and honest conversation. Moses says to God, see, see, you say. It's as if he's saying, listen here, God, listen, listen up. You told me I found favor in your sight. You told me these were your people. There's a certain friendly familiarity here between him and God. And we know that to be the case because the author told us back in verse 11 that Moses spoke to God as, as a friend does. As a friend speaks to a friend, and Moses is re- reminding him, y- y- you told me, you told me to bring up this people, and now you're saying depart. You're telling me I brought these, these people out. No, you, you did, God. It's you. You told me. We, we found favor in your sight. Listen here, God. Listen. Listen up. You won't go? So who will? Is it an angel? Is it your angel? Who is it? God. Consider what you've said. Consider what you've said to me. I found favor in your sight. You've said your people, these people have found favor in your sight. Consider what you said. You can almost hear the tremble in Moses' voice, right? See, Moses clearly understands what's on the line here. This was God's work. And he knows that I am God's man. And these are God's people see we we live in such pampered we live such pampered lives with our systems and safety nets don't we benefiting from and protected by and living within God's general omnipresence nature is in perfect harmony and balance maybe not so much today seems like it got a little out of control Sin is not all that it could be. Although it is awful, God certainly intervenes over and over and over again. And for these things, we certainly can rejoice. But Moses was not satisfied with God's omnipresence, and he was building his case that it was not God's general presence, God's general control, God's general sovereignty that he desired. He says, God, show me your ways. Show me your glory, God be present among us. If we have found favor in your sight, God, go, go with us. Moses teaches us a very valuable lesson here, right? He teaches us that we can, we, we can and we should have honesty before God. Be honest before God. He says, listen here, God. See, see, see you, you said, you said, God, it was, it was you who said, not me. This wasn't my idea, God, you told us to go. We're, we're, we're fulfilling your commands and your promises. You know, he teaches us to be honest before God. Moses teaches us that we can and we should have humility under God, right? Show me your ways, God, not my way. This isn't my idea. Don't send me out there with these people with my ideas because this thing will fall apart quick. God, you go. You take us. You be among us. We have honesty before God, humility under God, so that we can harness the power of God, right? It's his ways. The very mind of God is what we want. Moses wants. The nation of Israel needs. God teaches us we should have honesty before God, humility under God, so we can harness the power of God. Amen? Moses knows what's on the line here. He knows He's seen God do too much. God has done too much. Moses wanted the manifest presence of God to be among them. Look at what God says in verse 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. (sighs) Mission accomplished. It's like Moses is going, "Whoo, man, thank God. My presence, your presence will be there. What an amazing response from God, right? Literally what God is saying here is that my face will go before you. I will go among you. Cased, closed, problem solved, right? No. What was Moses' second plea for then? Was Moses deaf? Did he not not hear? Was he being disrespectful to God? Because he comes back to God with a second plea. He says, and he said to him, Moses says to him, if your presence will not go with me. Wait, wait, hold on a second, Moses. Did you catch what God said? God said, I, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God had certainly heard Moses and Moses had certainly heard God. God answered in the singular, go with you. I will go with you, Moses, and I will give you, Moses, rest. God Excuse me, Moses pleaded for himself for sure. Moses says, have I not found favor in your sights? Have I not found favor in your sight? Am I not the man of God that you have chosen, that you have called, you have authoritatively summoned?" right? Moses pleaded for himself for sure. But as a faithful leader of God's people, he went back to God on behalf of the people. Jesus stands Today, as your mediator before God, Jesus is pleading your case, my case before God. When God sees you as a Christian, when God sees you as a believer in Christ, he sees his son, the mediator. Moses was the faithful leader of God's people and he went back to God on behalf of the people. In verse 15, Moses says, verse 16, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of Of the earth. If you will not go with us, how will it be known that we have found favor in your sight? That is powerful. Moses knows it's God's presence among them that makes them unique. It's God's presence among them that makes them who they are. If they go into the promised land, into the promises of God without the presence of God, what do they have? There's no heaven without Jesus. Moses closes those verses in 15 and 16 with one of the most profound confessions. He says, Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? Don't send us where you will not go with us. I and your people. This is what makes us distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. What made Israel unique. What makes you and I distinct from every other person is the manifest presence of God within us. He is God. He is our God. He is the one true God. And Moses was acting as mediator for Israel. He was the faithful lawyer in the tent that day. You need a mediator to go into the presence of God for you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. When we cry out, Lord, we need you, it's Jesus. When we repent of our sin and confess Jesus as our Savior, it's Jesus. They needed Moses that day to go on behalf of them. We need Jesus to go before us. Moses was confessing that if they go without God, they have nothing. Do not send us if you won't go, if you won't be there. See, the glory and grandeur of God was far worth more than anything Moses could conceive in this moment. Not being rescued from the Nile, not the riches they took from Egypt, not the miraculous split sea, not even the future hope of the promised land. Moses wanted the manifest presence of God. We shouldn't want heaven if God won't be there. Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus is our mediator. He says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is our mediator. He is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the one. He is the one that can give eternal life. He is the one that died once and for all. He is the one that redeems. He is the one who took the weight of all our transgressions upon himself. He is the one. Jesus is the one. God is faithful to once again give Moses to grant him his request as recognition of his faith. God says, This very thing you have spoken, I will do. I will do. And as a result, what does Moses say? Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. You are so good. You are so gracious. Show me your grandeur. Show me your glory, God. Show it to us. If I have found favor in your sight, show me your glory. In the midst of this holy moment Moses recognizes the grandeur of God. He recognizes there's so much more to be seen and he desperately desires to be in position to see the fullness of God. And Moses knew to fully know God one had to look upon the full radiance of his glory. And one day one day church we will. One day we will see God fully. The full radiance of his glory will be visible to us. We will see we will see Moses wasn't satisfied with just moving into the promised land and obtaining the promises of God without the presence of God. And we shouldn't be either. As the chapter comes to a close, God promises to allow Moses to see his goodness as the grace of God provides a safe place to hide, as he witnessed the grandeur of God without being consumed. Oh, to see the glory of God and not be consumed. God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock so that Moses could, could see just, just, just a, a portion of God's glory pass by. And Moses saw in part what we will one day fully see. And in Christ, God offers you and me, the very same thing today. Jesus is the rock that we are hidden in and where we get to witness the glory of God. By his grace, we are saved from his holy consumption of his perfectness and our sinfulness. And as a result, we are promised that we that he will go with us because he is in us wherever we go. Have you come to experience the glory of God in Christ? How do we come to experience his glory? How do we come to experience his goodness? How is it possible that we can experience his grace and his grandeur? Church, it's the gospel. That's how. We experience the goodness of God through the gospel. We experience his grace. We experience the grandeur of God through the gospel. It's the church where the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed. It's where his gospel goes forth. It's where the world is changed. So have you experienced or have you been given God's presence this morning? That's the question. That's the question. If you're in a place where your sin is is separating you from God because it's giving you fear and doubt and worry, God's presence, the forgiveness of your sin, the promise of Jesus can, can make you whole today, can complete you. It's the gospel. It's the gospel It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news that we have have one who will mediate on our behalf, who will fix the wrongs, who will make the dead come to life. It's the good news of Jesus. And so, God, we, we have heard your word today, God. We have heard your voice. God, it's your word that changes us, it's your word. God, that we desire to hear day in and day out, Lord. So would you please, would you please light our hearts on fire, Lord? Would you allow your word to ignite a passion in our heart, God? Would you, would you allow your word to turn our hearts to flame, God? Encourage us, Lord. Give us strength to obey, Lord. And let the banner we raise be the banner of Jesus, And so we confess and we turn away from worthless things, Lord, so we can embrace you as our King, God. You are the King of kings. You are the one, the creator of all things. So God, please empty us, empty us, God, of worldly aim and be our one desire. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.